0: You're listening to My Evolved Life, a podcast that simplifies health and fitness and helps you maximize your life. My name is Vuna Nguyen, and I'm the creator of the Evolution Training System. We're so lucky to be living in the information age, meaning it's easier than ever to access information and find answers to any questions you may have. But isn't it confusing when you read information that's conflicting or worse yet, just sounds wrong? I'll be sitting down with industry professionals to give you clarity and leave you with tangible actions you can take immediately to improve your physical, mental, and psychological health. On today's episode, I had Shauna Curry, a registered nurse and health expert, and we got into the topic of sleep. We talked about how sleep is the foundation of health, how to build good sleep habits, and the importance of having good sleep routines. I promise, this one will not put you to sleep. Today's guest is Shauna Curry. Shauna is an Amazon best-selling author and international speaker. Her writings have been published in magazines like Forbes, Inc., Bloom, and Impact. Somehow, beyond all of that, she manages to make time to be a registered nurse and help others optimize their health and lifestyles through her company, Health Redesign. Shauna is an absolute vault of knowledge. So with that, Shauna, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Boo.
0: So Shauna, over the course of the past two decades, I know that you've you've accumulated a ton of knowledge, whether it's through your, your studies, through work itself, or through personal health experience. So there's a lot of different ways that we can take this episode in today, a lot of different ways we can take the conversation in. But the topic that I really want to hone into today is sleep, but more specifically, the importance of sleep. But as I just just as I alluded to, uh, before we get into that, I know you have a very, very compelling health story, a personal story that you'd like to share.
1: Yeah. So go ahead. Thank you. So I mean everyone comes to health from a, a different um, different example and a different piece of their life and, and quite often people get involved in wanting to help others typically because of something that's happened within their own lives and that's exactly my story so grew up as a pretty healthy kid uh, I had a jaw um, overbite where I used to be able to stick my thumb in between my upper jaw and my lower jaw with my teeth closed and then it caused a lot of clicking and locking and popping and so by the time I was almost 18 I ended up having jaw surgery because my jaw was so um, causing so many problems that I could hardly even eat solid food at 18. And so had this massive jaw surgery and then ended up getting all kinds of weird things after it. So uh, the first step was having chronic sinus infections. I was on antibiotics on and off for pretty much six months straight. And that just cut down my immune system so then from that it just led to this cascade of all these weird health issues that people in their young uh, 20s just simply don't have so around that time i had shingles three different times one summer after another i've had gout i've had fungal infections staph infections my knees were so inflamed i literally had to walk upstairs sideways Uh, my sleep fell apart i was depressed and it was just to the point that I, I wasn't suicidal, but I was like, if I got hit by a bus that day, I would have been happy. Like I was in so much suffering. I felt so old. Um, and my sleep literally was two to three hours a night, which we'll talk about a little bit more as we go yeah. along into the podcast. But I didn't realize how much it was affecting my mental health. And I thought I was going crazy. I thought I perhaps had bipolar or schizophrenia and, you know, in those ages is typically when those things start to pop up. And for me, it was this time in my life where I just was miserable. And so I felt like if I feel this bad now how bad am I going to feel when I'm 60 or 70 or 80 and I've had a long life ahead of me and and just didn't really want to go there and so for me it was all about how do I um, basically get myself out of that deep hole and tried a ton of different things so did a lot of research Um, at the time I was in my kinesiology degree and teaching people how to be healthy and it just wasn't working for me and so it was about how I uncovered these seven pillars of health to to pull my health back together and ultimately help other people.
0: So out of curiosity, I'm going to go ahead and make the assumption that while you were going through this crisis, if you will... um you weren't doing that alone you were seeking help you going to the doctors and it was inconclusive I'm assuming
1: absolutely so I went through tons of different testing Um, I had gut pain that would take me to the hospital because it was so bad that I swore it was my appendix or my gallbladder rupturing the pain was just intense and I would get to the hospital and they'd say oh well you're constipated and I'm like but I'm I'm not like I've gone to the bathroom four times today I know I'm not and and they would just pretty much blew me off I got sent to specialists so I saw rheumatologists they did tons of blood work and literally nothing Nothing was coming back on any of these tests. Yet I clearly wasn't well. I wasn't healthy. And I was far from this idea of optimal health. And so, yeah, I tried all different kinds of things. I went to traditional doctors. I went to, you know, Western medicine. I tried acupuncture. I tried homeopathy, uh, naturopathic medicine. And I tried all different kinds of things, lots of different diets, lots of different workout programs. And, you know, on, on their own, those single things just didn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and it was when I really started to look at it as a whole puzzle rather than individual pieces that things started to fall into place.
0: So where along that journey did you become or decide to become a nurse? I assume there's some correlation there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the stories definitely overlap and and intertwine. Um, Part of it was that I had been uh, in the you know, fitness industry for about 10 years. And I was at the point where I was working these really long days. So I'd be on the pool deck at, you know, 6am or opening a gym at 4am. And so my hours were all over the map. I'd be working until 10 at night. And because of how it works, you only get paid for small chunks. Mm. So in a day I might get paid for six or eight hours, but then I've put in a 12 to 14 hour day, including all the prep that goes into doing your personal training sessions or teaching a fitness class. And so I thought, well, you know, what, what's my next step and feeling a little bit burnt out looking at, do I do? a masters in kinesiology what's that going to get me where do i want to go and um, i at the time i was doing a lot of presentations and you know it kind of kept coming up of like oh are you a nurse i'm like well no but i have like all this training and experience mm-hmm. and and then it kind of planted that seed in my head and you know really thought about where i want to go and what i want to do and how i want to make an impact in Uh, the lives of other people and and nurses have a lot of credibility and and nurses can do do. so many different things. I think I heard a stat that there's something like a thousand different jobs that nurses can do, which I mean, how many other professions can say that? And so it opens up a lot of doors and and a lot of different ideas of, you know, I can be a nurse in very many different ways over over the course of a career.
0: Right. So before we jump into the topic of sleep, uh, you said a couple things there and I think it's the perfect segue into sleep. You said taking control So putting it into my own hands, you talked about different pillars, seven pillars. Uh, so this is a model that you came up with. Yeah. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about that because I know sleep is one of those pillars.
1: Absolutely, and so a lot of that was uncovered during my own health struggle. But but seeing the same kind of things pop up over and over again with the people that I kept working with, whether it be through my kines degree, whether it be through nursing, and you know we come come across and we you know we have these problems and things pop up and we think, wow, like I'm the only person that's having this, that's struggling with this, that has this challenge, mm. and while we feel very alone in our stories and our struggles. And I mean, my story might be different than your story and, and whoever else is out there. But at the end of the day, the fundamentals of those stories overlap so much and they all come down to the same basic things. And so when I was doing research on how do I get better and how do I fix myself, uh, because at the end of the day, I wasn't getting the help that I needed through all of these other very well-educated, talented care providers, is that it isn't one thing. It isn't this quick fix that, you know, you just need to work on your nutrition or just do your exercise or, you know, just focus on mental health. It's this um, looking at it all together. So I talk about it in a couple different ways. So one is the idea of a tabletop. And our health has four fundamental pillars and that's the bottom the table legs of our uh, of the table and so that's sleep nutrition exercise and mental health and so the digestion is what ties all four of those pillars together and interacts with them and then your medical conditions and lifestyle factors are what sit on top of your table uh, that can kind of tip it one way or the other way and so if you think of your health and the idea of like you know you cut one of those table legs a little bit shorter so you know, a woman who's just had a baby, her sleep is not going to be ideal. So we've hacked that table leg right off. Now we've got this table that's a little bit more wobbly. And what we can do sometimes is we can kind of rearrange the legs so we can have more like a tripod. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's going to stick together a little bit better, but then that only lasts for so long, especially if we stop exercising or we stop focusing on stuff that helps to maintain good mental health. And so then you see, well, this postpartum came out of nowhere when it really didn't. It came out of all these pillars being unequal and imbalanced. The other way that I look at health is the idea of of a Venn diagram where, you know, that's where all the bubbles kind of attach together in the center is where the idea of optimal health lives. So if you think of your seven pillars getting bigger or smaller, depending on what's going on in your lives, if you have lots of little circles, there's not going to be a lot of spot in the middle to create the idea of optimal health. And so what we want to do is we want to make each of those pillars as big as possible so that we can have the best chance of having good health.
0: So sleep is the foundation of all health. Yeah. I know you firmly, firmly believe that. (laughs) And as well, you should. So let's get right into the topic of sleep. Why is it so important? I know it seems like a very, very simple, basic question, but the answer is lost on many of us.
1: Yeah I mean sleep is probably the most overlooked pillar out of everything like you look at all of the health information that's out there there is a ton of information and publicity about nutrition and exercise like those are the really big ones but sleep is this thing that like it's not sexy. It doesn't sell in the same way that you can have like this fitness trend or, you know, a new diet supplement or like we can't just package sleep and be like, hey, here's the new sleep, you know, yeah. for only 29 99 or two easy installments, you can have the best night's sleep of your life. Like we, we don't sell sleep the same way that we sell exercise, we sell nutrition. And so because... It's this like nebulous idea it's an idea and it's a concept it's not something that we can can put a price tag on in the same way. And so I think that's why sleep it, it has such a hard time for getting the buy-in. And then so many people are so driven and they think that well, I'll sleep when I'm dead and then like I can I can sleep later like this is fine I can keep pushing it off but it doesn't work that way and, and sleep is so fundamental to us that, if we're not taking care of it, the, the problem is that the disconnect between what's happening with not enough sleep typically happens weeks or months or years later. We mm-hmm. don't see it right away. So there isn't this immediate correlation of like, well, I didn't sleep well this year. And so we, we have this disconnect over the impact on our lives.
0: Right. And that really, the, one of the questions I was going to ask you, and, you know, one of the things that plagues us is we are very, very um, we're not very proactive we don't think about the future we think about the now right so if i go for a couple of days without sleep i feel the immediate effects in terms of fatigue you Mm -hmm. know of course that presents a lot of inherent dangers like if you're driving when you're fatigued that's dangerous Um, but as you were just alluding to there as you just suggested there are major major long-term implications of of not getting enough sleep what would those what are some examples of those long-term implications
1: Yeah, so most of us know the short-term stuff. Like, that's pretty easy to be like, oh, I'm tired, I'm grumpy, I'm irritable. But the long-term stuff is really connected to our chronic diseases. So we're looking at things like high blood pressure. You're not going to get high blood pressure from one night of not sleeping, or even from, you know, in a week, maybe a couple nights of not sleeping. Like, you've got a, I don't know, you've got a cold or you've got a pain, and so you don't sleep very good. Like, you're not just all of a sudden going to have high blood pressure. Those things take time to accumulate. So, I mean, blood pressure is a big one, cholesterol can uh, indirectly be affected because of some of the stress hormones that go through your body. Uh, diabetes is a big one. Obesity is a big one. Cardiovascular disease and stroke. Um, so the risk of having heart attacks goes up the, the more sleep impaired we are. And so it's these longer term things that, you know, we're going to see that in, you know, six months or a year or even a couple years down the road. We're not going to see that right away. And especially when we're young and we're in our 20s, we think, oh, I'm invincible. Like, I don't need to sleep. I can get away with it. And, you know, we really like to push our bodies. And, and you alluded to the idea of like, we're not as, um, as proactive right. and preventive. Like we, we don't necessarily have that buy-in for like, well, when I'm 60, I, you know, I want to be healthy. It's like, well, we're living in the now and we're in our 20s. So we don't even think about what's happening down the road.
0: Right. And it's funny because I'm prob- probably going to get chastised after this episode because I am known for not sleeping very, very much. <laughs> um, but it's not because I don't know. Is because I'm a little bit stubborn. But going to that not knowing. So sleeping enough. Mm -hmm. It seems to be a little bit subjective. Or at at the very least, the the fact around it seems to be very, very muddy. It depends on who you ask. So, uh, you know, when you're a teenager, it says that you should sleep anywhere from 7 to 9. Or when you're an adult, 5 is enough. Or 6 to 8. The numbers are everywhere. They tend to range between 5 and 9, maybe even 10. But where is that optimal?
1: So it does, you're right, it does change over time, which makes it a little bit more complicated. So when we're kids, we we understand like, oh, kids need more sleep. Like that's a known fact. And then we kind of hit our teenage years. And an interesting phenomenon happens when we're in our teen years is that our, we, we still have s- sleep requirements, but your circadian rhythm actually shifts. And so you actually tend to sleep later. So you go to bed later and then you need to sleep later in the day. And then when we're adults, that kind of switches back to more uh, a normal circadian rhythm of kind of where most people operate in society and then when we get older it tends to shift again so in our in our older years uh, we tend to wake up earlier and then need to go to bed um, earlier as well but you know generally speaking for adults we're looking between that seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. And what's almost more important than the amount of sleep that you get is that it's consistent. Mm. And so that you're, you know, if you're going to get seven hours of sleep, you're getting seven hours every night instead of seven hours one night, nine hours the next night, six and a half the next night. We want it to be pretty consistent. And then it's a balance between quality versus quantity. So we'll probably touch on that as, as course, we move along. Of course, of <laughs> course.
0: Um, so just to back up before we elaborate on that point, uh, can you quickly, in layman's terms, uh, explain what your circadian uh, rhythm or clock
1: Yeah, are? yeah. So there's actually two really important pieces of sleep. So circadian rhythm is one of them. And so think of that as the the sun-moon phases. So it's the internal clock that happens deep within your body. Uh, it's controlled by this little piece of your brain that's really hard to say. The I'm probably going to say it wrong. Super, mm-hmm. Suprachiasm, the blah, 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 <laughs> nucleus, yep. That one. Perfect, that one. I um, can't even say it right, yeah. that it's like, I, have, I even have it in my book and I can't even pronounce it. Um, but it's this little piece of your brain that basically controls day, night. And so what's going to happen, circadian rhythm says, hey, sun is out, it's bright, it's time to get up, time to face the day, get moving. Then what happens is as the day moves along, melatonin gets secreted and your body says, hey, it's nighttime, it's getting dark. And it responds to those light, dark cues to say, now it's getting time uh, to go to sleep. So we live in this part of the world in uh, in North America where our uh, seasons change dramatically. So if you're at the equator, that's probably the most optimal spot because you're having the exact same sun exposure dark exposure like it's pretty Daily. equal it's like yeah. day daylight night time it doesn't shift the further away you get from the equator the more that's going to shift and so mm. then it kind of messes up our system so in the summer we have these really long days winter you know or sorry yeah summer lots of sun winter you know days tend to be shorter we tend to have more darkness so it tends to throw that rhythm off a little bit so it it makes it a little bit more challenging to have that consistent uh, identical clock every single day um, so
0: that sounds very idealistic I want to ask you a question that is going to hit very close to home, okay <laughs> as a nurse, mm-hmm. you may be working shift work, yeah, you know, couple nights on, couple nights off, working the day, it's all over the place. How do you best deal with that?
1: yeah, so and and really, you're you're absolutely right. So there is the ideal, perfect world, which as long as we know that that's there and that's what we're striving for, that's the important piece of it life is not perfect. Life is messy and things are going to happen. So, you know, for me, that could be shift work for, you know, for you, it could be having kids for, you know, for, it could be all kinds of different things. Like you've got, you know, a family event and uh, like things happen. We travel, we, you know, we do things that are going to shift that around. So there is times when it's not ideal. So yes, if I, if I work in night shift or I work in evening shift, like I know in my head, ideally I'm going to have the exact same wake time, the exact same sleep time, It doesn't always happen and so Mm -hmm. the the key is to not stress about that is to do the very best that you can and to accept that things are going to change so for all of you out there that have little kids um, that are saying like but i can't go to bed at the same time because you know my my little one's going to wake me up in the middle of the night it happens you know and we just accept that you know what during that phase of your life that pillar of health is going to be a little bit weaker and, and a little bit smaller. And for, perhaps for some, it's literally going to be like chopped off. You're not even going to have that pillar at all. You're you're just going to be barely getting the bare minimum of sleep. And and you know what? You say, okay, I know that. So I'm going to work on my other pillars to balance that out. Uh, but we do our very best to try to get sleep as consistent, as uh, regular as we can.
0: So as somebody with that knowledge, what are what are some... Let's call it actionable ad- tips or pieces of advice you can help some you know that you can give somebody to move towards more of a routine uh, sleep schedule. You know, somebody who is a business owner, for instance, who may put sleep off you know on the wayside. And what is what is an actionable um, thing that you can give them?
1: Yeah, so I mean, lots of people. Whether you're a business owner or you're an employee, the the concept is still the same. Is that you know try to figure out what kind of a person you are in the first place. So, are you more of a morning person or are you more of a night person? And do your very best to try to support whatever type of person you are. So, if you're you know you're a morning person, you wake up really early that's probably your most productive time. So scheduling the work that you've got that's, you know, the most important work, do it when you're most fresh and you've got the mm-hmm. most energy. If you're a night person, then try to schedule stuff for later in the day. Um, so having that routine where, you know, I personally am a morning person, like I have a really strong drive to wake up at, you know, like six o'clock is my, my wake up time. If I'm sleeping in, maybe seven o'clock. Like I'm never sleeping in till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock noon. Right. Like people are like, oh, I had the best sleep in ever. And like my system is like, like, ding you're awake like you know the the morning signs are going off like get out of bed get going like get moving but you know if you made me go and have evening meetings mm-hmm. and you know I've got to perform and and you know do all my business stuff till you know 10 11 midnight when you know even one o'clock in the morning I am useless you know I try not to ever do any coaching sessions past three o'clock because I'm just not at my best and so it's working with what your natural sleep rhythm is to yeah. say okay I'm a morning person I'm gonna do you know my stuff in the morning I'm a night person I'm going to do my stuff at night either way you still need to give yourself a buffer before you go to bed so your brain is not wired to go 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 and perform Mm -hmm. and then put your head on the pillow and expect to fall asleep you need a wind down time so that's really important for people to take
0: so what i'm really hearing is very similar to nutrition diet physical activity there are different philosophies yes so find something that works for you but do it consistently correct right your body is It's a, you know, it's a computer. It needs to know what to expect, where you're going to get your energy from, when you're going to get it. Likewise, when you're going to sleep, when you're going to get that rest. So let's go back to the quantity versus quality. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure there is some science behind this, but I've always, my philosophy is, if I sleep for five, six hours but I feel like I'm sound asleep. I'm getting high quality sleep. Mm -hmm. That would be more effective or more refreshing than somebody who slept eight to nine hours, but they're tossing and turning all night. Is that true?
1: Yes. Yeah. So absolutely. There's a piece of, you know, what we're trying to do is find our sweet spot. So it's this balance of slowly trying to increase your sleep as much as you can until it starts to fall apart. So that's that quality quantity balance. So think of it this like this teeter-totter that's mm. constantly shifting back and forth. And so if qualities on one side, quantities on the other, we're going to try to find that spot where they just like equal each other right in the middle. Um, and so for some people, what you're going to do is really slow increments of change. So rather than saying, well, I slept seven and a half hours last night, I did good. So now I'm going to try to sleep eight hours and then eight and a half and then nine. Like for a lot of people, that's too big of a jump. Mm. And so what's going to happen is you're not going to sleep very well because you're not used to Um, that big change. Um, So that's kind of the same idea as sleeping in for an extra half hour or an hour. So you want to do really small incremental changes. So for some people, it's even as slow as five minutes every week. So, you know, I'm going to wake up at, let's say, 7 o'clock this week. Next week, I'm going to wake up at 7.05 every day. The next week I'm going to wake up at 7, 10 every day. And so slowly increasing the sleep that way versus trying to go, you know, five or 10 minutes every day. That's too quick of a jump for some people, mm-hmm. especially if you've had years and years of sleep problems. So we're going to play with that balance to see where is that little sweet spot and where do things start to fall apart. So for me personally, I know that if I try to sleep much past that eight hour mark, like that's kind of my upper end of sleep. Mm. I would love to get eight and a half hours sleep, but then I typically start waking up in the middle of the night And so then I'm awake in the night and then I'm tossing and turning and then my mind starts going and then it's like, oh, if I go to sleep now, I'm only going to get six and a half hours sleep. Oh, I'm only going to get five hours sleep. I'm only going to get three hours sleep. And so then my sleep gets very fragmented. And that was something that I really struggled with was this fragmented sleep where I would sleep for a small chunk, be up for a chunk, you know, sleep for a little bit more, be up and so just the tossing turning. So it's this balance of, we want to try to consolidate Mm. our sleep. So it's all in one chunk instead of multiple pieces through the night.
0: That's so interesting because for me personally, I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders after five or six hours, but there are days where, I don't know, circumstances I sleep in for an extra hour. So say seven hours, I do not feel good those days. So why do you think that is?
1: That's a pretty normal response. Yeah. So, typically, what's happening is you're feeling really good in that five, six hour mark because your body's firing on adrenaline. And mm. so, it's running off of cortisol, it's running off of adrenaline. And those are things that your body is not supposed to run off of all day. So, think of like the idea of this fight or flight mode all day long. And your body's like, all right, let's go. And so, you're constantly okay. being chased by a lion. And it's almost like we get caught up in the excitement of it, of like, yes, there's a lion. Like, let's go and get it. And like, we just jump in, and, and that's kind how we run our days and and I used to run off of that too and I was so fired up like I couldn't slow down Mm. for me to sit down and to not do anything for five or ten minutes was pretty much impossible my mind was always going like I, I could not sit still and then it's learning that that's not a normal state is that our bodies are actually meant to slow down and we have natural rhythms that go through the day um, that have higher energy or lower energy as we shift through the day and realizing there are periods that we have lower energy and that's very normal that's not you being tired that's not you needing a cup of coffee that's not you know the afternoon fatigue where you're like oh it's just the afternoon blues like it's a normal cycle that happens it's nothing to do with something that you've done wrong or that you're not like that you need to push through so it's doing slower activities during that time and then doing higher energy activities when your energy peaks back up. Um, so in terms of for you, someone like you, okay. who's on that lower end where you're like, okay, I'm sleeping this five to six hours. Like, um, there's a great book out there called why we sleep by Matt Walker. And it like, he has this great line where he says like, there is no one out there that sleeps less than seven hours a night that is not impaired in some way or another.
0: Interesting. Okay. So I'm definitely some form of impaired. <laughs> you know, this is a uh, very habitual for me. It's been the case for a decade. Um, but that being said, I know it's going to catch up to me at some point. I'm cautioned about it all the time. Um, one of the things that when, I, when we talk about those, those cautions is we all know as people of fitness, people who exercise One of the things that's always said is you need to sleep because you repair, you recover in your sleep. Mm Mm-hmm what is actually happening when you're sleeping?
1: (laughs) Truthfully, there's a lot of stuff that happens in our sleep that we actually don't even know and don't even understand. Mm. What we do know is that you're absolutely right. Like that's when we clear out stuff in our brain. So chemicals, um, neurotoxin, or not neurotoxin, sorry, neurochemicals build up in your brain during the day. And then at nighttime, what happens is, think of it just like, you know, a a cleaning cycle is that Mm -hmm. stuff comes through, washes all that stuff out so it can be fresh for the next day. We consolidate memories from the day. That's where we process our learning. Your tissues repair. Your immune system repairs itself. Like, and, and again, there's normal hormonal cycles that certain hormones and things within the body are supposed to be higher during the day. Some are higher at night. And so it allows that normal process of things to go up and to go down as mm. they're supposed to when we're sleeping. And if you're, you know, maybe just resting at nighttime, it doesn't give you that same level of repair that it does when you're actually sleeping.
0: You know that's a uh, that's a lot for me to personally digest. Of course, given that I sleep so little, and I'm very very cognizant of the fact that when I sleep so little, I also affect the person next to me. Um, so if I'm if I'm waking up in five or six hours, it's hard. She's a light sleeper as well. So when I wake <laughs> up, chances are she wakes up, or if at the very least she pretends to not wake up. You know, I know she yeah, is though. Yeah, if you stay so really still <laughs> yeah. and you
1: don't move then you won't know I'm awake. (laughs) No,
0: exactly. So I do feel bad, and it's definitely something for me to personally consider.
1: Yeah, and and truthfully, like the problem with sleep impairment is that our body is so good at compensating for being Mm. sleep impaired that we can't actually perceive that we're sleep impaired. And so think of it like, constantly having a uh you know a glass of wine in your system or you know a shot of whiskey in your system is like if you always have that in your system eventually that's going to become your norm mm-hmm. and then you're like oh i'm doing good now i can have two a day mm. okay now i can have three a day and like we get used to this level and like when we think about it that way you're like oh it's like having a couple beers on board every single day then you're like mm, maybe that's not such a good idea but we we just don't even have the sense that that's even happening
0: right so how do you start to take control? How do you put best put yourself in an environment that is conducive to good quality sleep?
1: Yeah, so everyone's situation is going to be different in this. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to give kind of that blanket example, but the best thing is to start chipping away at it. So instead of saying, I'm going to change my sleep, I'm going to go from, you know, sleeping four and a half hours a night, I'm now going to sleep eight hours a night changing sleep is a slow process. So out of any lifestyle habit, it's probably the slowest and the hardest one to change. So having this level of understanding and acceptance that it's probably going to take you a long time to make those changes.
0: So so just to clarify, what about environmental
1: conditions? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was getting there. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) So in terms of like, how do we change this is like, change the small pieces that you can. So it's kind of chipping away at some of the environmental pieces while we chip away at the behavioral pieces and the subconscious stuff that's going on inside the mind. So typically what I say is to start chipping away at some simple things that you can do. So trying to sleep in the same spot every night, you know, so if you're couch surfing, you know, you're somewhere, you know, one night and then somewhere different the next night, like that makes it really difficult Mm. for you to get consistent sleep. So finding a safe place that you can sleep every night, um, having the same type of routine before bed is really important, uh, but making sure the environment that you're in, trying to do the things uh, related to, to, we call it sleep hygiene, but the idea of sleeping, um, having kind of this routine every night is make your bedroom as dark as possible. Like that is such a big Mm. environmental tool and you know so if you're staying in hotel rooms i've heard of people that literally bring a tape of electrical tape or a roll of electrical tape with them and they'll put it on like the light on the ceiling where the smoke detector is and Mm. on the light on the tv and like tape built you know below the door and like the darker you can make that space the better and the deeper your sleep is and like there's even studies out there with little laser lights like they'll shine a laser light on your arm or your leg and that little dot of light interferes with sleep So if you think that, you know, that little crack in your, you know, your room isn't really making a big deal, it absolutely is. As soon as that's touching your skin, it's making an impact on your sleep. So if you can sleep in a dark cave, that's kind of the number one for sleep. And then keeping your room pretty much as simple and as clean as you can. So, like, think minimalistic lifestyle, like, you know, getting rid of all the extra stuff. And I've worked with people that literally they're like, well, I can't sleep in my bed. I'm like, well, why can't you sleep in your bed? Well, because there's too much stuff on my bed. And, like, it will be covered (laughs) with magazines and books and clothes and pets. And, like, there's two dogs and a cat and a hamster and a bird. And, like, they're all sleeping in the same bed and, like you need a space that's your own so i am an animal lover like don't get me wrong i'm not saying like don't have animals but they should not be sleeping in your bed with you it's like especially if they're interrupting sleep they should be on the floor beside you you know in in a safe place Mm. Uh, that bed should be for you and your partner whoever that is
0: what about screen time before bed (laughs) myth or fact
1: fact That is definitely a fact. There is a huge connection between light exposure and uh, its impact on sleep. So we talked a little bit about the idea of melatonin is Mm -hmm. like that's what's telling your body go to sleep. So when we're exposed to light, that can be your cell phone, it can be your computer, your TV, it can be the lights in your house. If you've got all the lights turned up really bright reducing that light as much as possible uh, before you go to bed and and really we're looking 60 to 90 minutes before bedtime so um, the other thing to include in that are like your cobalt kindle your e-readers, even those, are going to have an impact on your sleep.
0: Even with the uh, the blue light setting. Even
1: with the blue light setting, there is still okay. an impact on your sleep. And so, if you think, well, I've got the blue light setting on my phone, or I've got it on my my you know reading device, it's still going to have an impact on you. Perhaps a little bit less with the blue lighting on there, but uh, you know, having blue blocker glasses, like the old granny style oh, ones boy. with like the sides, and yeah. um, they are not very attractive at all. They do make a difference. Uh, But trying to just get away from those things, like read a physical real book or do something that, you know, slows your mind down before bed. But, you know, that light exposure before bed, it, uh, it will impact your sleep for sure.
0: What about the temperature? I've heard that being in a cold, cool environment definitely helps uh, with sleep as well. Is yeah. that
1: true? Yeah, so, so cooler rooms are easier to sleep in than warmer rooms. Now, someone like me, I am literally the ice princess. I am cold all the time. So I don't love going to sleep in a room that's cold. Um, and we're not saying go sleep in an ice castle, mm. um, but a couple degrees cooler makes a significant difference in terms of the temperatures your body needs to get to to hit the the different waves so you can be snuggled under the covers um, but if the air that you're breathing in is a little bit cooler so if you can crack the window a little bit or you know close the vent so that the temperature in the room stays a little bit cooler that makes a huge difference
0: so I want to ask you about a phenomenon that a lot of people suffer where they push themselves through the day and they're absolutely exhausted and they're fully expecting that by the time they hit their pillow they're out like a light and they're gonna fall asleep but the opposite happens they cannot get to sleep
1: yeah so that's called tired but wired that is where you are so exhausted you can barely keep your eyes open and you know you're ready to go to sleep you literally you do your routine you're like barely conscious you lay down and then it's like ding and this alarm clock goes off in your head and you are unable to sleep like then the brain starts going and you just like you feel like you cannot turn it off um that happens all the time and so Part of that is is related to um, hormones, and part of that is related to having a lack of routine before going to bed. Mm. And so it's, it's working on shifting that sleep routine so that you always do the exact same thing before bed. So if it's like, I wash my face, I brush my teeth, you know, I read for 20 minutes and then go to bed, you do that every single night in that same order. Because what that's doing is on this really, really deep level. So back of your brain, uh, it's telling your body, hey, when these things happen in this order, The next thing that happens is we go to sleep. And so then we're giving ourselves these cues and these clues that are reminders to your brain and your body to be like, oh, oh, wait, I've recognized this before. I see this. Now I know that sleep is coming. So by giving ourselves that repeatable pattern to say, hey, this is what's going to happen next, then our system can get used to that routine. And then what happens is over time, then we can reduce the impact of that tired but wired syndrome Mm. and doing things that are going to help support your hormones. So like not drinking a ton of coffee during the day. So like cut off your caffeine at noon so that your body can naturally hit those rhythms to be like, Oh, the caffeine is wearing off. And now this is when we get ready to, to start slowing down and, you know, to not have foods that are going to be stimulants before bedtime or, you know, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol, those kind of things are going to interfere with your sleep.
0: Since you mentioned coffee, I am sure it affects everybody differently. Mm-hmm. What is an optimal cutoff time for stimulants like coffee?
1: Yeah, so coffee has a really long half-life, and I can't remember the exact time, but I feel like it's 12 hours. Okay. So half-life is basically meaning that if I have— let's say 30 milligrams of caffeine in 12 hours, I'm gonna have half of that left in my system. So I'm still gonna have 15 milligrams of caffeine in my system. And so because it takes so long to metabolize it, it sits around for a long time. So if you're the kind of person who says, I can drink a cup of coffee after dinner and I can still go to sleep, I'm not denying that. There are some people that metabolize and process caffeine quicker. So 50% of the population can metabolize, 50% can't. Um, so they have a harder time processing it. I'm definitely in the side that can't. Uh, my cutoff, if I want to have a good night's sleep, literally is newt. Someone who can metabolize it could probably get closer to 3 o'clock, something like that. But what's happening is it may not affect your ability to fall asleep Mm. or to stay asleep but it is having an impact on your sleep architecture so the rhythms of we've heard of REM sleep non-REM sleep you know the different stages it's going to impact what that pattern that architecture looks like even though you may actually stay asleep is that you're not hitting the same deep levels at the right times
0: I've never felt like I was guilty of so many things
1: (laughs) you're doing it all wrong
0: (laughs) (laughs) I yeah this sounds terrible uh especially given what you just said but i'm comfortable having a, a small gla- a cup of coffee at eight o'clock at night and i'll be just fine um, <laughs> switch, to <decap. laughs> switch to decaf switch uh, to decaf i do i'd love to drink coffee not because i feel like i need it but i love the taste yeah. i drink black coffee it is my happy place but it's something that i'll keep in mind now um you mentioned rem versus non-rem sleep mm-hmm. Uh, Can we go into just a small quick detail there? Or sorry, uh, elaboration of what those are.
1: Yeah. So it has to do more with the, the depths and the levels of your brain. And this is an area of sleep that I am definitely not as strong in. Uh, so it's, Oscar, an, yeah. yeah, so it, it is important that we hit different levels of sleep. So um, it's where we dream, it's where we recover. And so within the different levels of sleep, um, we're hitting different pieces of that recovery process. Mm. And so what's important is that we do go through the different levels. And so We hit uh, a typical sleep cycle is going to move through in about 90 minutes. And what's going to happen is we're going to repeat that over through the night as we continue to move through cycles. But the first 90 minute cycle is going to look different than your last 90 minute cycle. And so what we're trying to do is to allow your brain to process so that it has different levels of REM sleep and non-REM sleep so that we're hitting all the different parts of that recovery process through the night.
0: So that's why it's all the more important to be getting the eight hours, so to speak, so you have more cycles. Correct. Than if you were to have five or six. Yeah. Man, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So I want to go back to the sleep conditions again. Let's assume you're not in routine and you're just having an off day. You get to bed, it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and you're feeling wired. I know there are different trains of thought. Do I just lay here and until I fall asleep or do you get out and do something else? And same question for when you happen to wake up in the middle of the night and you can't fall back asleep.
1: Yeah. So yes, there's kind of the idea, perfect world, we're going to sleep for our eight hours, all is good. But what happens is, you're right, we sometimes go to bed, we lay in bed we toss, we turn, we toss, we turn, we can't fall asleep, or we fall asleep really easily, and then throughout the night, we wake up at some point, and then we can't get back to sleep. So in both of those situations, ideally, we don't want to stay in bed for any more than 20 minutes. So we're really looking at patterning. So it's this conditioning that we associate our bed with sleep. And so we've probably heard this analogy that bed is for sleep and for sex only, nothing else happens in your bed. So you are not working on your computer on your bed, you are not, you know, I don't know, people do all kinds of crazy things in their bed but you yeah youtube like you're not Yeah. yeah you're literally sleeping there and you're having sex there and that is all um and so then you create this association that when i'm in my bed it's one of these two things and well nothing's happening right now so it must be sleep time um so then you have this really strong association if we lay in bed and we're restless what happens is we get all these subconscious thoughts and you know i've worked with clients that are like i don't have any bad thoughts about my bed i'm like you do like it's it's literally in this deep center of our brain that may not even be conscious because then it creates this this idea that when I'm in bed I toss and I turn Mm. and so yes for that type of patterning and this was something that I really had a strong um, disconnect with is that every time I'd be in bed I'd be tossing turning and these negative thoughts of well I can't sleep and you know when am I going to sleep and if I fall asleep now like your your brain kind of runs away with itself is you have to get out of bed Mm. is that then you literally remove yourself from the situation go do a calming activity so whether it be You know, maybe it's coloring, maybe it's drawing, maybe it's reading a book with a dim light, maybe it's stretching, listening to some quiet music, going back to bed and trying it again. So if you've had that pattern where you can't fall asleep or you wake up frequently, it's going to take some time to repattern that one. That one is a slow one to change, Mm. but being consistent with the pattern of I'm awake, I'm not falling back asleep, remove yourself from it. That will help to create a healthy association again.
0: Mm. So is it fair to, uh, fair to assume that you don't have a TV in your bedroom?
1: It is fair to assume I do not. <laughs> <laughs> and my cell phone is not right beside my head either. Intentionally, it's as far away as I can get it in my room.
0: Guilty again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm finding all your sweet spots here. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not
0: going to lie. I'm not perfect. Um, None I, of us are. <laughs> I, I, I sleep with my, with my phone right next to me, sometimes under me. So that when the alarm goes off in the morning, I don't wake up uh, my girlfriend. So... <laughs> It's just habit um, one of the things I always hear whether it's teenagers or adults is I'm gonna catch up on the weekend mm-hmm. I'm gonna catch up on my sleep on the weekend does that actually work
1: no so I love I love this question because this ties into the second piece of sleep that's super important so we talked about circadian rhythms sun you know light dark ry- rhythms right the other piece is called sleep drive so it's the idea of um, Basically, you wake up in the morning, and that's when you're you're most r- refreshed. You've got the most energy. Mm. So energy peaks up, and then as the day goes long, it starts to come down. But what's happening is the drive, the distance between when you were last asleep, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And so there's getting this really strong gap so think of when you're exhausted like you're so tired this drive is really high and it puts a lot of it's also called sleep pressure because it Mm. puts a ton of pressure on you to literally go back to sleep so that's when a ton of adenosine builds up in the brain and it's giving you the signal of like hey it's time to go to sleep so when these two systems work together then sleep performs really well but then this idea of I'm gonna catch up on sleep on the weekends and make it all better. So what we're doing then is we're mucking up both of these systems, Mm. is we're changing time zones, essentially is what we're doing. So we're saying, well, tonight I'm gonna sleep on Calgary time. Tomorrow night I'm gonna sleep on Vancouver time. The next night I'm gonna sleep on Toronto time. And so every time we're changing our wake time and our sleep time, we're literally flying across the country and going to bed at different times. Mm. So if you can imagine, like you've been in Vancouver all weekend and then you come back to Calgary time and you try to get up in the morning you're gonna be tired in the morning because sure. you're on a different time zone um, and so then all of a sudden we're thinking well that makes a ton of sense but we don't understand why when we stay up late Friday night sleep in on Saturday you know stay up late Saturday night sleep in Sunday why Monday morning all of a sudden we can't wake up we feel so groggy right. it takes us almost the whole week to get over that And then we do it all again. And so it's this system that keeps repeating itself. And, and yes, there's times where our bodies need more sleep. So you're sick, you need more sleep. Like you you need to recover, Um, you know, or you had a really bad night's sleep where you weren't sleeping very much, then intentionally planning a short nap or sleeping a little bit more, but not excessively more. So we're not looking to mess up your sleep rhythm for the next day. So I can maybe sleep an extra hour but I'm not sleeping an extra five hours in the morning and then wondering why I can't get to sleep that night.
0: Going back to your quality of sleep, I'm going to ask you a very subjective question. How does one know that they've had a good night's rest?
1: Ooh, that's a, that is a good one because it is subjective Mm -hmm. is there's a level of, you know, this perception of, well, how do I feel? And Sometimes you can feel really crummy and have had a good night's sleep, and sometimes you can feel really good and have had, like, a technically bad sleep. And so the best way to measure it is actually by keeping a sleep log that's detailed with a whole bunch of different measurements. So really what we're looking at is, what time did you go to sleep? What time did you wake up? Did you wake up through the night? And then coming up with a measure of what your sleep quality is that's very objective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you can lay your subjective stuff on top of it. And so I know, like, when I was working on recovering my sleep, I, at my worst two to three hours a night total, not even all at one time. And so when I was getting better, and it was typically more around that five and six hour mark where I was starting to feel a little bit better, but I would still feel so exhausted. And, you know, I would be sleeping better because I would have slept for almost six hours continuous compared to two to three hours, which is so much better. But I was like, ugh, like I almost felt more sluggish and like just yuckier than I did when I only slept two to three hours a night. And part of that is because what happens is the stuff like adrenaline and cortisol that I was running off of doesn't need to work as hard anymore. And so now I don't have this huge adrenaline rush first thing in the morning to Mm. get me going. And I'm like, oh, I need coffee. I need sugar. I need carbohydrates. Like I need things to to get me going to boost me up and so that subjective piece can be quite difficult you know what we want to do is to layer it together with the objective piece to look at like okay well how do I really feel but what's actually going on and then looking at the bigger picture of am I moving in the right direction or am I moving in the wrong direction
0: so uh, self-awareness is a big big component of that yes I know I knew that was a tough question Um, You have mentioned a couple times now melatonin. So I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on supplementation. It's widely available. It's very, very cheap. Um, Some come 3 milligrams, some come 5, and some come 10. Uh, Do you recommend it at all?
1: I do, but the thing with melatonin is that it is not indicated for insomnia, which is why most people take it. Mm. So most people take it because they, you know, have trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep. And that's actually not what it's for. Melatonin is for shifting us onto the correct time zone. So we talked about that, you know, the weekend shift mm. where I sleep in later and then I come back. Melatonin is going to help you get back onto the same time frame, and then it helps keep you there. But what is really interesting about melatonin and really any any product that's out there is there's this really powerful placebo effect that we believe that if i'm going to take this it's going to help me and so even if i'm taking a sugar pill that has nothing in it it's actually Mm. not doing anything for my sleep but i believe that this thing is going to help my sleep it will because i've got this placebo effect and so a lot of times melatonin works for people when they say no 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 like this works for me is because that placebo effect is so strong that it's giving them the advantage to say yes i'm doing something that's going to help me sleep better but that's not actually what melatonin is for
0: i'm going to assume that you advocate to take it intermittently as you need it Um, i'm sure there are people out there who depend on it so to speak so does prolonged uh, supplementation suppress the body's ability to create its own
1: so if you're taking it in your lower doses, so you're taking it in that one to maybe three milligrams, it doesn't have a ton of effects. Mm-hmm. If you're starting to take it in those higher amounts, like 10, you know, 10 milligrams, then, then it can decrease the amount of melatonin that you are naturally producing. Mm. Um, and so ideally, you're right, you don't want to use this as an every night thing. However, if again, if this is something that's helping you to get to sleep, to stay asleep, and then slowly wean yourself off of it and then go every other night and then every third night and kind of space it out so that you eventually pull it out of your system and you only pull it out every once in a while that that's what it's there for but but really melatonin is meant for you know I'm gonna fly to Europe and then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna change the time zones and and taking it to support that Um, but yes I'm I'm a huge advocate to say let's try to get you off of as much stuff as possible whether it be sleeping pills whether it be other you know natural sleep aids uh, whether it be melatonin is that ultimately a lot of those things are just patching your sleep. They're not fixing your sleep. Correct. So in the same way that, you know, I could say, well, you know, I don't have any... I don't know, iron in my diet. So I'm just going to take an iron pill. We haven't really fixed my diet. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just patching it with something instead of saying, okay, well, maybe I go out and I look for iron rich foods or I look for other ways that I can get iron into my diet instead of taking this supplement. That's what we're doing with these sleep pills is we're, we're just patching it.
0: Right. So there's a lot of other cures you would recommend before melatonin, going yeah. back to the sleep hygiene, the sleep conditions, routine, a lot of that. Absolutely. So... One final thing here, I have to ask. It is often said that exercise, physical activity, contributes to good sleep. Where do you stand on that? And if it's and if it's true, if you agree with that, why is that the case?
1: Yeah. So sleep before bedtime is typically not recommended because what's going to happen is we're going to release all these endorphins. Sorry, and...
0: exercise before bedtime. Sorry,
1: did I say sleep before you said bedtime? sleep before bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly I need more sleep. <laughs> exercise before bedtime can yeah. release endorphins. And so then it makes it harder to fall asleep. Exercise earlier. So whether it be, you know, early evening, whether it be in the morning, absolutely. Because a lot of times what we're doing is that we're we're just burning off energy so that we're more tired and ready to go to sleep. There, From the research I did, there isn't, from what I understand, a specific connection of saying like exercise makes you sleep better, but exercise burns your energy and tires you out so that you do sleep and so there's a connection and a correlation and there's a strong correlation people who exercise typically sleep better than people who don't exercise so i'm a huge advocate for it um and what that exercise looks like to you might look different than maybe what it does for me but but i think it's a really important piece of you know you've got sleep problems that's always a question i ask are you exercising
0: that's great shauna Honestly, like I said at the beginning, you are truly a vault of information. Not only because you've studied it, but you've lived it. You've developed programs around it. You can t- Today, you help others through their poor sleep patterns and other be- uh, poor behavioral patterns. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Can you tell us a little bit more about Health Redesigned and, of course, Healthy By Choice?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it started with this... Um Passion project of mine is I've always wanted to write a book. So I wrote a book, Healthy by Choice, uh, Your Blueprint for Vital Living. And it's basically about like what we talked about today, those seven core pillars of health. And it's essentially a blueprint. So it talks about what are the fundamental pieces of each of those of sleep, nutrition, exercise, um, and what those look like and how you potentially can change them in your life. So it's not prescriptive in terms of me saying like, you have to do this, this is the only answer. But what it is, is a combination of all the research i've done to say these are the core essentials for sleep for nutrition for exercise and then you can choose to apply them to your life as best as you can because all of our situations are different but those are the fundamental pillars of health um, so what I've done is I've taken that same concept and basically created the workbook to it in an online course format. So it's an online course with a workbook that you get to go through in depth to really work through each of those pieces to enhance and to improve the quality of your life. So um, Health Redesigned is all about taking that information, making it applicable for you, and then getting out there. I do a lot of public speaking. I do corporate wellness programs, uh, one-on-one personalized coaching. So I do all kinds of things all, all related to health.
0: That's spectacular. Do you know how many passion projects become Amazon bestsellers? I can't (laughs) imagine too, too many. So with health uh, redesigned in the works, your your corporate wellness, your speaking engagements, your writing for magazines, you have a lot on the go. What's next for you?
1: Ooh, what's next? That's a great question. You know, it's... uh it's always something that I I struggle with is like, when is enough enough? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm very much a goal-driven person. And so, you know, when I do one thing, it's like, what's the next thing? And so definitely rattling through some ideas in my head of of what that next book might be, Uh, but really just waiting for that to be inspired. So a book may be on the horizon, but, uh, you know, just waiting for the right time for that to come through. And uh, for me, really just looking to to grow my program.
0: Excellent. Might be another book. It might be another giant Trail. No, I, well, you're quite fond of those.
1: Hiking trail. <laughs> yeah. Jeez.
0: Well, good for you. So I want to ask you, given given all of this, given your own personal evolution, if a person were to be living an evolved life, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. I love this question that you ask everybody. and And for me, it has to tie into health and fitness and and wellness is that's just such a big piece of my life and I'm so passionate about sharing that with other people so for me an evolved life would be at a point where everyone is proactive and preventive with their life and is really looking out for their own best interests and and taking their own health um, taking responsibility for that is there's so much that we can do to help ourselves and a lot of times I, I see people that just depend on someone else to fix them and you know my message is that you're not broken you don't don't need to be fixed. You're already whole. And that evolved life looks like empowering yourself and feeling like you really can control all of those things because you actually can.
0: That message really, really hits close to home. Being proactive, being preventive, uh, pre- preventative. Um, you're, you have the capability to take it into your own hands. Sleep being, being one of those pillars, one of those things you can do. And the thing about sleep is it's also free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, beyond all else, sleep is free. We're just not taking advantage of it. Shauna, thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of My Evolved Life. Guys, if you found any value at all, and I'm sure you did, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions about this or any other episode, or you want to be a guest or recommend a guest, send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at EvolutionVN. Oh, if you think your friends would enjoy this podcast, please make sure to share it with them. Until next time, live your evolved life.